Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to tournament poker strategy. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Fez Buddy and Killing Bird. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Killing Bird here with Ron Fez. Buddy, how's it going, sir? Good. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. No complaints. No complaints. Just, um, That's nice. I know. Life's good. <laughs> Life's good like that. Uh, I'd, like, I'd like to have no complaints. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm finally playing a little poker again. Yeah. So I'm, feeling, I'm feeling fulfilled uh, again. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, uh, I've been so busy. We've, uh, we, I think we talked about it last uh episode um there's a lot going on behind the scenes at tpe and so i've been working like crazy on that stuff but i did take some time out to play um a couple of sessions on merge and made a final table um which was fun got my blood boiling again and <laughs> back back into it so that was cool what about you yeah it's kind of the same thing just sort of just kind of getting back into it i think i've put in two or three sessions in the last weeks which is a lot compared to what i was doing a couple of weeks before that and um Final table one of five rebuy. Uh, unfortunately, I ended up busting in seventh, so no real significant money, but still just to kind of get back playing and I think playing well. Um, just kind of feels good. So, are you ready for the uh, the series, the Maximus uh, series on merge? I am ready. I kind of put a schedule together, so I feel like I'm I'm ready to go. I doubt I'll end up playing everything that I put on my schedule, but I, it's sort of a target, you know, like. What I'd like to like to try to play everything. Right. You know what? Let, let's um, do a let's do a preview show next uh, next episode. That's a good idea. Yep. Yeah, we'll have to do that. Cool. Cool. We'll, yep, uh, ready for that. So yeah, and the other thing I've been doing, although I haven't been playing a ton, I have been um, I've been going in the tournament poker as chat room almost every night, and uh, that place is happening, man. Yeah. I, People are in there just crushing tournaments and sharing strategy and right. talking and. It's been pretty cool to see. There's 15 to 20 people in there. It seems like every time I log in at, at night. So awesome. Yeah, nothing um, like talking to people about the game and just having a community of people to talk to yep. and, and share the time with, right? Yeah, it's a lonely completely. grind, you know? Yeah, it's nice to get in there and just kind of see how people are doing. And, you know, it's always nice to have somebody cheer you on. And so let, let me ask you, so for those who don't know, the background be, behind sort of TPE and, and Derek and I, we met on two plus two and we joined a message board of poker players that kind of broke off from two plus two, um, made our own board for more sort of, you know, direct conversation, um, called LOL, nice squeeze. Um, shout out, shout, shout out, out to the squeezers. <laughs> so before that happened, Derek, what was your poker community? Like, like, who did you talk to? What was, what, what did you do for sort of conversation about poker? Um, Really, before that, I mean, I would read a lot on two plus two and stuff, but I didn't post a ton. Right. In fact, one one of my first significant posts was the one where you and I met via that post. Right. Um, up until that point, you know, I would post like a sweat thread here or there or respond to some strategy, but but not a ton. So really, the only like poker conversation I had were with a couple of guys who I play in a home game with. Right. Um, who were the more serious poker players of the home game crew? Because most people are just there to drink beer and play cards. Right. You know, they don't care if it's poker or Five card stud or AC Ducey, um, but there was one or two guys who were relatively serious about it. We would talk a decent amount of strategy, um, 
but even even like talking to one person, even if that person's really good, I don't know if that's enough. Right. No. Like I, I think you need to talk to a wide variety of people, like people who play differently than you, people who are better than you, people who are worse than you. Yeah. But, you know, you need like a little bit of everything. I, I agree. Um, I agree. And I and I I think that's what. Um, LOL Night Squeeze fulfilled that at the you know, at the time, and, and I think the TPE chat room f- fulfills it to a great degree now. So. Yeah, actually, that's a good point about um, people who are better and people who are worse, right? Because you know, you it's it's good to teach people, right? It's it's helpful because it gets you to think about the topics, and you know, it helps you to elo- elo- you know just sort of express the fundamentals in a way that you know maybe you never really thought through before. Right. So it's good to have people that you're better than and, and you could help. But then at the same time, it's also good to talk to people who are better than you and, you know, get – well, first of all, be able to take criticism because you, there's nothing more annoying than people asking you for hand advice and then, like, defending it to their death. Right. What they did and why they did what they did and just not having an open mind. But if you can have an open mind, talking to people who are better than you, obviously. I mean, it's a pretty obvious statement, but I don't know if people yeah. like take advantage of that enough. And that's that's what, you know, I, I, if you don't have a community, find a community because it's, it's really helpful. It really helped me when we when we formed LOL Nice Squeeze. It just, I mean, you know, some amazing players came out of there. Hit the panda for one, right? You know, it's just... <laughs> Yeah, it was funny. I was looking at the list, and I guess I won't say them all because I don't know. I don't know if it's private or you know. I don't want to spill any beans. But the, there, there's some pretty amazing players that came out of that group, yeah. like names that a lot of people would know. So yeah, well, I mean, that was pretty yeah, true. yeah, that was that was a fun time. So cool, no doubt. Um, well, that's a good so, uh, good segue into today's guest, right? Given the the topic that he's you know sort of becoming known for on the site and his, his thought process. Yep. Yeah, so today, um, and people have been kind of asking for more of, of him, so we have finally been able to get him on the podcast. Daryl Jace is going to join us. The videos are super popular, yeah. and I think people will enjoy uh, a conversation with him today for sure. His, uh, so the thing about Daryl is two things. First of all, his videos are getting better and better, right? Like, you know, not that his early videos were, were bad at all. They, they were chock full of great information, but he's becoming so comfortable teaching mm. that I think they're getting they're they're quickly rising to some of the best in the site um, but that I, I always label his videos as the advanced advanced class you know yeah um, and I think that's fair so people know what they're getting into um, I definitely you know sort of find that he gets very in-depth in topics and he goes beyond sort of just the simple basic standard stuff that you know you want to learn to make sure that you don't have major leaks he teaches you how to elevate your game um, a bit further. So uh, I think, you know, he's great for that. Um, yep. And the topic today is we're going to talk about sort of just becoming a better poker player, exploiting tendencies, um, how to, you know, get and use information and how to just uh, sort of, you know, what to do to, to continue and improve your game. Um, and I think he's a good, a really good uh, uh, guest for that sort of thing. And I think we're going to take a little bit of departure um, we're not going to necessarily pick any, you know, a bunch of hands to go over. We may have some ideas and hand examples that come up as we talk about it. I think we're going to be a little more theoretical this time around, so hopefully uh, you guys like that. Yeah, yeah, and I would also recommend to people out there, um, if, if you're not familiar with it, there's an article that Daryl wrote on Tournament Poker Edge um, about 
how to obtain and use information in poker. And I actually think that would be a really good primer. I actually read it back today because I knew we were going to have Daryl on the podcast. So I read it today and I was, I was once again amazed at how good it was. So I actually tweeted it out uh, for everybody to check out. But I think it's worth reading that article even before listening to this interview because he's, um, he's got a lot of really cool ideas about this topic. So that's a good primer. And then you can kind of dig in with the podcast. Yeah. If you go to tournamentpokerers.com slash articles, um, it's on the first page. You have to scroll down. It's about, I guess there's maybe like 10 or so articles since that one. Um, but it's there on the first page. And if you want to go directly to it, it's uh, tournamentpokeredge.com slash poker dash information dash and dash how dash two <laughs> dash use dash it. <laughs> Just go to articles. <laughs> That's easy enough to remember. Just go to articles. <laughs> there you go. So cool. Let's, uh, since we've hyped it up so much, I guess we should get into it. So let's take a, a quick break and we will come back with Daryl Jace here on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Hey, MTTers, this is Casey Big Dog Pocket Fives Jarzebeck from TournamentPokerEdge.com. If you've been looking for a trading site dedicated exclusively to tournament poker, then look no further. Tournament Poker Edge is only $23.95 per month, with no initial sign-up fee, and we post a new training video every weekday. you also find poker-related articles, blogs, and very active strategy forums. We even offer you the ability to upload your own video for others to discuss. So head on over to TournamentPokerEdge.com and find out why it's quickly becoming the destination for tournament poker players looking to take their game to the next level. TournamentPokerEdge.com Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Time to bring in today's guest pro, and it's uh, one of our relatively new pros, but he has done a couple of series for us, and and they've been very popular, and people have been asking to get him on the podcast, so glad we're finally able to do that. So we welcome uh, Mr. Daryl Jace to the show. How are you doing, sir? Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Daryl. It's funny, Daryl, exactly what Derek just said. I, I we we scheduled this podcast that I started uh, just as we did it. I started I got it for some reason I got two or three PMs into my TPE message box asking if we could bring you on the show because I guess because your your latest series just ended so um, people are really excited about that series and, and wanted to bring you on so here we are welcome yep cool should be interesting yeah Bye. <laughs> <for> you guys <laughs> well I guess a good place to start since you are relatively new to TPE is, is maybe a little bit of background on uh, you know how you got into poker and what your career has been up till now I know from from looking at your bio I think you started a lot earlier than a lot of people did and certainly longer than I did I think it said you've been playing about nine or ten years wow. so um, I mean maybe one of the things you can do is talk about what it was like you know back then when you started compared to now yeah, I think I have a pretty atypical type of, you know, coming up story. I think a lot of people have, like, you know, they have stories where they start out grinding small and they move from cash to SMG, uh, sit and goes, or sit and goes to MTTs, or MTTs to sit and goes, and they, like, slowly move up and then they take a shot or something. I think right. uh, I was, like, 14 or something and I think all the sites just had a whole bunch of free rolls and I remember just grinding those a ton right for a really long time for like five six months I would just grind those like wake up play poker for 10 hours go to sleep grind those out (laughs) and 
I think I made like 3K playing free rolls, and then I played a little bit of cash on this site called Casual Poker, which I'm sure isn't around anymore. Wow, I don't even remember that one. And then I just saw the Sunday Million on Stars. I randomly decided to enter in it. How, 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 much, <laughs> how much of your bankroll was that at the time? Uh... I made like 3k playing poker, so I guess it was like I had 15 buy-ins. Yeah. <laughs> on no problem. <laughs> so like that day, I you know at Sunday at 10 in the morning or you know 12, whatever it was, I see that tournament for the first time, <laughs> and I don't think I've ever played a real money tournament before. So wow. I'm, I think I'm like 14, 15, or. 16, but for every reason, I don't have a license yet or something. So I have to have somebody <laughs> drive me that day, two hours before it starts. It's the Western Union transfer. Get wow. my account, I don't know, just before the tournament starts. Register that tournament and end up shipping it for like 90K. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's amazing. That's that's awesome. Was this, I mean, you're you're really well known on 2 Plus 2. Like what, around when was this? Because I remember you from 2 Plus 2 for a, a long time. Was this, were you already a regular on 2 Plus 2 at that point, or, or was, was that before you even got, you know, known there? Uh, I think I joined 2 Plus 2 uh, probably like uh, when I was like 19 or 20. Okay. And mm-hmm. after I won the Sunday Million, I remember just grinding the high stakes a lot back yeah. then. So I, I just played for, you know, a really long time before I found 2 Plus 2. Okay. All right. So you came to, you, you came to 2 Plus 2 a bit after you already kind of had some success. Did you have some sort of formal way of, of teaching yours? Like, like if you didn't find two plus two into five years into it, does that mean that you didn't, did you read books? Did you study or did you just kind of play and figure it out? When I was a kid, I, I remember watching world poker tours and world series of poker and just being really interested in the poker. And I remember reading like 15 or 20 books okay. on poker, like when I was 14 or 15, and I would just play all the time. So I think maybe for the time, like, reading those books just gave you a huge edge. Yeah. And I was maybe better than everyone, but I remember just really sucking back then. And <laughs> yeah, there, there was a time where if you just knew a couple basic things, you it, the, the edge was huge. There was, like, a one-year window, I think, like, 2006 to 2007, where no one knew any of that stuff. Yeah, back then, three-betting was a little bit like five or six-betting. So yeah. I was three-betting a ton, so. <laughs> That's crazy. Awesome. It, it's it's so interesting. Like it would be really it'd be neat to go back and see your hand history from that Sunday Million because to compared to today it would probably look so bad. <laughs> like you know you're probably four xing and five xing or something. You, you know it's funny. T Twist did a series on that um, just like two months ago. He he found a Sunday oh, Million. That's so cool. Yeah, he found a Sunday. He he finished like nineteenth in a Sunday warm up I think about four years ago, and he went back and reviewed. The, the hand history and it actually it's one of our highest rated series because he rips on himself so bad <laughs> because I mean, he was so bad like he was forexing with jack jack like you know with like 20 big blinds like he was just doing some really really awful stuff <laughs> i mean i yeah. can do that i mean my first series that for the 75k the full tilt one from like eight months ago i remember just ripping on myself so much for being terrible video, i'm like oh this is awful this is I can't imagine what it was like nine years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just goes to show you how much, how quickly the game changes. Yeah, yeah. But but it's weird because people like it, a wave of knowledge just swept over the game, and and 
it just seems like people have really picked up. But there's got to be more edges to exploit and 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 you know ways to interpret information differently. And I think that's I think that's one of the things that from watching your videos, Daryl, and this feedback from a lot of the people on the site is that you're really excellent at. It's not necessarily you know, the rules of the game, like, here, do this in this situation, but it's more about here's information, here's how to adapt to what people are doing, the table dynamics, um, and here's how to exploit. Would you say that's, I mean, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna come out and say I think that's what you do great, but it, would, you, would you say that's, that's true? Is that how you see yourself and where your edges come from? I think at the high stakes level, as the stakes get higher and higher, everybody's a lot better at the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. So everybody kind of knows push fold reshove right uh are pretty decent at all that stuff three betting barreling or whatever um as a general statement they're relatively good compared to you know four or five years ago or something so a lot of your edges just come from adjusting to your opponents based on information right so like, it's not really, back in the day, like, if you know push fold, like, eight years ago, you would just crush without knowing anything else. But now, just knowing push fold doesn't give you too much of the edge. Right. When you're pushing, people are calling with good ranges, and when you're calling, people are shoving with good ranges. You know, right. there isn't too much edge to be had there. That's uh, not to say that fundamentals aren't important. They're, you know, the foundation of poker. You need to know that shit before you learn all the fancy technical stuff you don't want to like like if you're ice skating you want to like learn a triple axel before you learn how to like <laughs> just skate you know what i mean so right just uh, on the fundamentals first what i'm saying i think uh we got to take tp pros out ice skating during the world series of poker there <laughs> yeah there we go yeah. good, good, good luck finding an ice skating rink in las vegas in the summer though <laughs> it is a will is a way funny. so daryl you you obviously started you know, very young and, and won a lot of money young. So, I, I, you know, you obviously played that played through high school. Did you make a conscious decision that you were going to go pro? Did you end up going to college and, and play while you were in college, or did you just go right to playing poker for a living? I think I have even a more, like, atypical story than uh, my poker one because uh, I actually dropped out of school in seventh grade and never even made it to high school. Oh, wow. I had no idea about that. Yeah. Uh, so there, like, when I was like 13, 14, I had, you know, I would literally wake up, play poker. I didn't go to school. So I would just spend all my time playing poker, like literally 10, 12 hours a day. How many hours of poker have you played in your life? Have you ever, have you ever <laughs> tried to figure that out? <laughs> I'm sure it's over like that 10, that milestone, 10,000 mark. 10,000 hours. Yeah. Yeah. The, I'm sure it's over there. Was well that... over. Was that that wasn't the tipping? Was that the tipping point, or that was blink, right, or something? One of, one of the, uh, outliers. Outliers. I thank you. I, yeah, I think it was by Malcolm Gladwell yep. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read all. I read read all of those. They kind of blur, but th- yeah, that was the that was the ten thousand was the mark of. Uh, for those who haven't read the book, um, he studied people who were considered geniuses or experts in their field, um, and he found that that there was some condition which led them to not only they had talent in it, um, but talent alone wasn't what drove them. They had, they had some conditions exist in their life where they were able to put in um, more hours than everyone else. Something went, you know, a certain way and they ended up, you know, being so focused on that particular topic that, and then he found 10,000 hours was sort of the magic point where he could separate the people who were considered geniuses and natural. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, I tried to figure it out once how much time I've spent playing poker and I think I've put in probably six or 7,000 hours. So if I've done that, 
with my, you know, schedule, I'm sure that you've probably put in 40,000 hours <laughs> if you've been playing since seventh grade and, you know, all that. So, sure. I, sure. I actually haven't read Outliers. I just, oh. read, I just heard about it. I think I'm going to pick that one up. I read yeah. the Tipping Point by him, which is actually pretty good, but it's yeah. not yeah. as poker-related, I guess. Yeah, Outliers is, Outliers is, is, is really, really good. Um, and, and also, it, it helps um, – and I know you have children, right, right Daryl? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I have two kids and, and I read it and um, not that I'm pushing my kids to go be a genius or anything, but what it really helped me like think about and understand is, you know, recognizing something that your kids you know, excel in and giving them the ability to practice it as much as they want to, because that is what made people super successful in their field is that they're, you know, they had the conditions exist. So that's one of the things that I took as a parent from that book. So it is definitely as a parent or an interesting book to read. I recently read uh, The Art of Learning, which I think is an amazing book for any poker player to read. It was one of the best books I've ever read. It's uh, about this guy. If you've seen the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer about the young chess prodigy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about that dude, and he writes the whole thing. I don't even think he had anyone help help him write it. I could be wrong. Don't hold me to that. But uh, he basically just gives his whole biography and life story, and uh he goes from being a chess like world champion at 20, and then he he starts martial arts at like age 20 or something, kung fu or some shit, mm-hmm. and he becomes uh, like the world champion of that too. Wow! <laughs> he masters chess and then like tai chi, and he just talks about how he learned to master two different art forms and the similarities wow. between the two. Uh, he talks about learning things and uh, learning the fundamentals first before you practice on the you know, the more technical stuff. Right. Uh, he would practice, like, a, a move in Tai Chi, which was the form of fighting he was doing. He would practice, like, a simple move of just moving his hand six inches in front of him, just back and forth, back and forth every time. Mm-hmm. So he'd get the move so down pack and so ingrained to his subconscious that he doesn't have to think about it. Right. So he would do that for everything. And when he'd be doing, like, a move that required eight or nine steps, you know, he'd just automatically think about it, you know, at the step of a finger, and he'd be able to concentrate on the more detailed concepts. Oh, that's really interesting. How did, how did you relate that to poker? Like, what, what, how did you take that into your game? It's directly related to poker. The, the less you have to concentrate on other stuff, the more you can concentrate on the small detail things. Like, the less you, like, immediately when I sit at a table, I see the stack sizes, the players on my table, my position, my image, uh, their image, how they're playing, table dynamics, and, you know, that's immediately, I don't even have to think about that. Yeah, okay, that's, I was going to ask you, so, so basically, you've, you've studied those things, and you've thought about them so much that they're inherently in your, like, they're instinctual to you now, when you sit down, you kind of just pick yeah. all that stuff up? Uh, exactly, and I, it's more, it goes for even more, like, post-flop, you could think about, you always add certain hands into a range, always subtract certain hands into a range, and like most of his range you get, like, for example, you see a flop and you get what 95% of the range is and you don't have to concentrate on what the other 5% is because you automatically discount or add those hands in. You know, that actually, this leads exactly to sort of the strategy topic that we wanted to talk about today, which was, um, you know, you just did a theory series on uh, exploiting tendencies, which I think actually we still have one more part to go, um, the third part. And, um, one of the things that I noticed from the series is that you just the information that you're able to pick up is so 
is is very granular um, and very specific. You know, for example, you talk about classifying what people do too much or too little, right? So you talk about if they three bet too much or if they they call three bets too light or if they see bet too much or if they fold to see bets too much. And, you know, first of all, my question is, how do you do that, you know, with a small sample sometimes when you just sit down at a table and, and like, how are you gathering that information? And then secondly, um, how are you how are you taking that information and you know turning it into a strategy? And, and I, those are probably two big topics on their own. So why don't we just start with the first one? How how do you get that information when perhaps there's just not that much of a history, um, if that's even possible, or do you require more history? So the only way I'd be able to focus on these like small examples is by not having to focus on the basic stuff because I already get that intuitively. Right. So I just focus a lot on that stuff and I'm able to form strategies based on that just by thoughts. Uh, a lot of, a lot of my poke, my improvement as a poker player has come from just thinking about poker. And sometimes I would think about a subject just like three betting, Mm -hmm. you know, what variables should you think about when three betting, what, how they affect them, which variables are more important how often are they more important in which situations wouldn't they be more important? So a lot of like my Eureka moments playing poker have been in like the shower or the toilet. That's fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, I guess when you're away from the table, right, you could, you can just focus on that particular element because the three betting situation is gone within, you know, 10 seconds and now you got to move on to a C betting situation or something like that. Right. So you can't focus on that particular topic for too long. Um, when you're playing, I guess. Yeah, I guess the question is, and I think you started to, an- I think you answered, you started to answer it is, you know, you sit down at a table and, you know, just from watching your video, you you sized up the whole table like at your 100k video that just finished. In you know, by the end of the first video, probably halfway through the first video, you had reads on everyone, and was the, did you need more than one one? Uh, instance of something happening to pick up a read or can you just you know start to understand what they do just from very little information well obviously like logically the more information you have the better like if you see some guy do something three times it's better than one right uh it kind of depends like it depends how bad the mistake somebody makes for example if you see a guy call a raise with seven deuce offsuit that's going to be very telling compared to a guy who calls a raise with you know, 10-9 suited in a spot where you think he shouldn't. Right. Like, that's obviously going to be more more reliable. You're going to be pretty sure that the guy with 7-deuce off is loose. And if you see the guy call with 10-9 suited in a spot he shouldn't, it isn't as, you know, reliable. Right. So do so, you extrapolate a lot from little things you see that paint a broader picture of a, a player's profile? I kind of just balance all the ideas in my mind kind of automatically. Like I think about how accurate my read is based upon how many times I've seen him do it, how bad I think the play is. And then I automatically have strategies against that. Uh, okay. so I already know what I'm going to do. Like if I see, if I see something that I can exploit, I pretty much already know how to exploit it. So I don't really have to think about it. Right. So I just right. spent so much time. Yeah, I remember yeah. watching uh Phil Galfon's Blue Fire Poker videos uh, on philosophy, and he just breaks down how to exploit different players' heads up, and he would just write down 
how to how to exploit things and a lot of the things were counterintuitive for example if a guy you know check raises a lot that says something about his calling range how can you there's a way to exploit his calling range if right this is a lot and i initially never thought about that so after watching that video i remember just thinking about all the leaks i commonly see and thinking out thinking about how it how I would exploit them. What tendencies would you suggest, you know, if you're, if you're really starting to try to, to start to exploit tendencies, you're moving past the basics and you're, you're you know, like you said, people under, understand the fundamentals and now it's, it's a matter of, you know, understanding the information flow and the dynamics. What are, what are the, you know, first tendencies that, you know, an, an average player who's trying to get better can start to pick up on or should start to pick up on? Well, a big thing about, uh, exploiting people is the better you are at poker, the better you are going to be at finding leaks in people's games. Right. right. Uh, for example, I remember when I wasn't very good, which was a pretty long period where I actually wasn't very good relative, relative to everybody else. I remember like in, oh, I don't know, like oh two, oh three, oh four, just being terrible and I would talk to people who were just way better than me and way over my head, and I would watch people play, and I'd think, you know, fuck, how do, how do I, how do I beat these people? They're so good because you know, I didn't understand the game deeply enough to know when they were actually making mistakes. Right. So a big part of picking up on people's mistakes is just knowing when they're making mistakes. Right. Uh, I forgot what your question was. Yes. Yeah, so so I asked. So what are some of the um, the tendencies that you could start to focus on first. Um, so if you you know have someone who's average and, and getting better, what what are some of the things that they could potentially start to look for? You know maybe that skill that they've acquired by being you know a little better than average. I think the easiest one to do like three betting is a kind of a hard. It's a little bit harder to exploit since it's a lot more abstract and theoretical and it takes a pretty good understanding and to know when someone is being out of line with their three betting, unless they're just going crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. So stuff like seeing a guy just call way too much or uh -huh. something is something really easy to exploit. Like if you see a guy calling a re-raise with, you know, seven, five offsuit, then I think that you don't have to be very good to know that, Right. He's calling too much, and you just have to know how to exploit that. So stuff like that, or just a guy who's playing, like, I don't know, just uh, opening too much is, is pretty easy to pick up on. Or if a guy is just calling post-slot way too much, or... Right. Um, yeah, th those are good. Those are, I think, those are great places for 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 people who are who are improving to start. So l let's take an example of, you know, you got a guy who calls too much. Let's say you see him, you know, he's called with seven five offsuit, and it got the showdown. And you saw it somehow, and he had no business calling whatever the positions were or the stack sizes or whatever. You just you you, rec you recognize that, and you know now now how are you going to adjust your game to that guy let's say he's to your left are you going to you're going to open less because he's going to call or and you're going to be playing out of position or are you going to want to play pots with him because you you know you know that you can that he has worse hands or like what's what's generally you're going to what's your adjustment there uh, it depends how he plays post lot we ah. assume that he's going to be bad player but if he's a if he's the type to call a lot pre flop and then fold a lot post flop then we're definitely going to want to be opening a ton and then 
just see betting a ton. Right. He's the type to call that pre, and then if he flops a backdoor straight draw, he wants to, like, see the turn. And then, you know, he's just a huge calling station. Then you're just going to want to open a lot tighter. Yep, so, yep, that makes sense. Yeah. Right, so you're marrying sort of the two tendencies that you picked up there into yeah. a, a profile of how to play against this guy. Yeah. Right, that, make, that makes sense. And what about... Um, I guess I guess the positions here, you know, are, it, it kind of stays the same depending, regardless of the position there. Because, um, well, I guess you have to know what, does he call a lot out of position then, and that would you know affect you if you're going to open it in position against him. You have to consider that as well. So that, okay, that makes sense. Um, okay, and what about someone who doesn't open enough? I mean, I guess you're going to, if they open, um, you're going to tighten your ranges, right? I mean, that's an obvious, <laughs> that's an, that's an obvious, uh, you're going to tighten your calling ranges or in position, are you going to want to play against them because you can define their hand ranges better? Generally, what do you think there? That also depends. Like, uh, let's say if a guy doesn't open enough and then he's like really straightforward post-flop, mm-hmm. you can still see a lot of flops for them. Right. Uh but generally, I guess if a guy doesn't open enough and he's, like, tricky and good post-lap, then you're just going to want to fold more because you're, you're just going to be, you know, not have as much equity as you would typically have, and you're not going to be able to call and profit. Yep, that makes sense. Right. It's kind of uh, kind of tricky, though. There's There are situations where, like, a guy's opening, not opening enough, and then maybe he's, giving up on the flop a good bit, but you still should fold more pre. It's kind of tricky and hard to figure out. Right. Right. And I guess that's where, you know, your 10,000 hours of practice comes into play, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just a lot in like the small details and focusing on the little. Right. Yeah. Um, what, what tendencies have you found that you yourself had and potentially you worked out of, like, I guess, leaks or whatever that you worked on? I remember just being, like, ridiculously aggressive. If uh, you watch my videos now, they're more, like, controlled aggression. Right. At least from my point of view. But for a long time, I was probably, like, one of the most aggressive players. Uh, most One of the most aggressive regulars. Just three-betting like crazy. Right. Four-betting like crazy. And basically just getting owned by other rigs. They would just wait for hands and I'd give them my money. <laughs> <laughs> that was usually good line. I guess that's one way to learn about ten, be, uh, explaining tendencies is to get your own tendencies exploited. Yeah. yeah. Good players. <laughs> and and Daryl, you said you moved to high stakes tournaments pretty early, but are, do you, do, have you seen enough low to mid stakes tournament players or or hands played out that you could sort of suggest what some things are that those mid-stakes players could work on? Like, what are the what are the tendencies that they need to eliminate from their game? Because, I mean, I certainly have my ideas, but I'm wondering if you have thoughts on that. Uh, I think I'm, it's hard to know. I, I feel like I'm making some generalizations here that could be wrong, but I feel like most of the mid-stakes players, the good ones, are really good at the math. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times they kind of just get caught up in the mathematical side of it and they don't focus enough on theory and your opponent's tendencies and adjusting your ranges and doing creative shit. 
I think a lot of the mid-six players kind of just fire up 16 tables and push fold all day and don't really get better at poker. So they're kind of right. just forced sticking in that situation. If you want to make it into the high stakes, it's not going to be from a more enlightened uh, perspective on your push folding range or right. knowing like a more like learning more about that. There's very little edges to be had. As far as I know, I'm not, I'm not like one of those super really good push fold guys. So I'm kind of a little bit ignorant there, but mm -hmm. I would say just playing less tables, getting reads, learning how to adjust thinking abstractly rather than in a vacuum just doing interesting, creative things. Think like when you review hands with people, talk to people who play really differently from you, so you get different perspectives. And think of really crazy, ridiculous lines when you're reviewing hands. <laughs> like, oh, standard, oh, standards. Like if a guy, you know, I don't know, just like if a guy bets a river and you think about calling or folding, think about, oh, what about racing? Or, you know, just shit you would never think about, just really crazy shit. Just right. think about it. Even if it turns yeah. out to nothing, maybe you see something in people's rages that you wouldn't have normally seen or you have some kind of, I don't know, there's a lot of times where I'm just thinking of random shit and that kind of just leads to something else like a different idea or something. That's a really good point. I, I heard a, an, I heard an interview with Tom Dwan once um, that basically said what you just said there. He said um, when he thinks about, you know, his options, he, he, he focuses a lot on the one that is the least obvious and the one that is non-standard and, you know, sees if he can make it work because then it'd be different than what a lot of people would expect, and he might uncover some sort of context which it, it actually is the best option. So, like, if it's a clear, you know, if, if it, why why do why why should I fold? You know, if he looks if he's facing a situation where it's you know almost a standard fold, it's like what if I raise? Like, just just break your sort of the neural patterns right that you have in your head that just you know force you to follow the same lines over and over again and, and don't lead to creativity, and you start to explore the opposite or the absurd, and it. It gives you, you know, a new way to start thinking about certain situations, which, like you said, lead to um, a new hand. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, way of thinking about how to take, you know, specific actions at the table. And that's basically, I think, what you just said. It's yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's really easy to go on autopilot if you're yeah. just playing a ton of tables. It's just so easy. And right. um, you might be sacrificing some money in the short term by playing less tables. But I think in the long term, you're going to improve your game a ton yeah. and have the potential of possibly moving up. Or when you do go back to playing a ton of tables, you'll have, you know, an increased ROI from what you've learned. Right. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that you and I have talked about, Diego, is having been forced to play less tables because of the situation in the United States, but it's actually ended up being a little bit of a benefit yeah. because we've actually been able to focus because towards the end with, especially with full tilt running, you know, multi entries and double guarantees and all that stuff. I mean, it was really easy to get 22 tables going. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'd, I'd be on, I'd be, you know, traveling for work and I had my laptop and I'd, you know, open, 
you know, 12 tables on a, on a small laptop. And I really, you know, it's not, it's not focusing on, on the actual game. It's just playing robotic. And as, as Daryl said, where are the edges there? If you're just following standard lines that everyone knows or playing by math, there's no, there's no edge there. There's no, right. no exploitation of situation. So I agree. I've, you know, been forced to cut down my tables. I actually wrote an article on that on the site, um, forced to cut down my tables, but I'm enjoying playing a lot more too, because it's more of a thinking game now than it was back then. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So most of your creative inspiration should come from when you're not actually playing. I think that's when you should be doing the most thinking about poker. Yeah. I think when you're actually playing, it should be more reactionary and more intuitive mm-hmm. rather than thinking extremely deeply and trying to right. be super creative because I think it can lead, it will lead to a ton of mistakes and a lot of cost money when you could just do it when you're not playing and be able to think more clearly, more objectively. Right. You won't be wasting any money. How, how much time do you spend studying as opposed to playing? Like what, I mean, I mean, before, you know, before Black Friday, I guess would be. Uh, I remember in 2012, 11 the start of the year i would play i would play the three weeknights and then i would play saturday basically all day sunday all day then i would do 10 7 to 14 hours of cash which is basically just to work on my game and get better at post lock i would review every single cash session which would take uh between three to six hours I would watch one or two videos a week. I would uh, review, I would try to review every single tournament session. I probably average one or two tournaments I would review, which would, a week, which would amount to three, four hours. And then I probably read a little bit of forums and talked a little bit of poker with others. Especially when I was reviewing hands, I would always try and talk with others. So I put in a Probably about sixteen hours of practice a week or something. Wow! Mm-hmm. I don't know if I did the math right there. I'm just thinking. Either way, that's probably a lot. I'm sure there are a lot of people who who feel like they're spending a lot of time studying the game and they're putting in, you know, four to six hours a week, right? Or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and they could be like like doing other stuff while watching a video, right? They're not focusing on on the actual right. thing they're doing that they're supposed to be doing to learn. Yeah. Uh, there's something to be said, though, about not burning yourself out and, like, being on a sustainable path. I remember back then, I was really just burning myself out. I would put in, you know, a ton of hours, and I remember, like, after one month of doing it, just being completely burned out and having to take, like, a week off because I was just right. so, you know, over it. So I think it's probably better uh, for your life, for poker in general to just have a more balanced approach rather than going really, really hard like I was doing. Like 2011, I just wanted to start off the year like trying to be like, you know, the absolute best in the world and work my ass off, work harder than anyone. Right. And I remember it not working out too well because I burnt myself out completely. And if you read like stories like biographies of a lot of really successful people i think you'll like notice like same things of like how like working super hard being burnt out i think it's uh, important to just have a sustainable amount of work amount that you could continue to do and not need yeah you know breaks from 
because, you know, I put in all those hours, but at the end of one month, you know, I needed a week break. So after yeah. all those hours, you know, I just gave it all back in one week. I am willing to bet that a sustainable amount is still way more than most people do right now. So I think probably there's a lot, a lot of room for improvement um, and seriousness and, and, and study um, in the game than, than most people do. But yeah, you know, if you really want to get better, you should spend a ton of time working on your game rather than playing. In my yep. Opinion. Yep. Yeah, and I think you made a video on uh, on how to get better at poker, and I think that's one of the themes that you had um, within it. So. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. I know. It's just really important. I don't know how hard people work, but it's really important to stress not burning yourself out and, like, killing your, like, inspiration for the game. I remember just, like, really hating the game at some point because, like, how many hours I was putting in. Right. But I was also on, like, a really bad dial swing. I'm sure winning helps. <laughs> yeah, winning, winning <laughs> tends to make everything better. <laughs> but I was, like... I was like working my ass off, and I was like negative eighty percent ROI for the first three months of the year. God, God. So you know, actually, we asked you. You told us about the Sunday Million, but what other what other scores, major scores, have you had? Um, you had the uh, Sunday Million. I I know you had some other big final tables, right? Uh, at one point, I was uh, there was the W Coop main event, and I had like no money online at that point, and me and my friend. Uh, I think he plays – well, his name isn't, like, too well-known online, so I won't even mention it. But we decided to, like, go partners in, like, a $300 satellite to the B-Coop main. Mm-hmm. Played at, like, 8, 9 in the morning or something like that. Got into the main event and then ended up getting uh, fifth in the main for, like, 200K. Wow. Damn. Yeah, I remember, <laughs> and- like, we were five-handed and I was short stack. Everyone was agreeing to the chop. And I would have got like 440 or something like that. And <laughs> I remember just being like extremely young and, you know, not really caring about the money and just yeah. like wanting to play to win. And I just turned down the chop and I like five hands later, I reshoved 8 3 offsuit versus a button raise. <laughs> and dude, tank calls me with like ace jack off and holds. Uh. Wow. wow. And I'm actually wondering if we have a, a misprint on our website, but have you final tabled five Sunday millions? Yeah. That's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and and one, two of them, by the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I obviously just run pretty good. There's, like, no secret. I'm just, like, running really good at that tournament. Wow. Wow. And so, uh, okay, so what's um what's up next for you? Obviously, you're still in the U.S., um, and... Uh, are you playing live? Are you? What are you doing for the World Series? What, what's what's up next for your poker sort of career? Uh, I don't know. Just probably like play cash, play some tourneys. I'm gonna go play the 1200 at Foxwoods tomorrow. Oh. You guys are gonna be there. Uh, definitely gonna play some World Series events. Uh, I'm really just trying to figure out, like, what to do with my life after poker. Right. So, I don't know. I'm spending a lot of time trying to learn how to do that and playing cash and tourneys at the same time. Right. Uh, I'm not traveling the circuit because I have a wife and kid, and it's yep. super hard on them to do both. And Absolutely. I'm not rich enough to take them with me, nor would I want to. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Rio is not really where you want your family yeah. being yeah. raised. Exactly. <laughs> Having kids playing like next to the slots, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So you're going to be in Vegas at all for the World Series? I'm like 99% sure I'll be there. I'm not sure when, though. Okay. Yeah, because you made a, a nice run. I mean, where a lot of people might know your name from is a pretty deep run in this year's main event, right? Yeah, I got uh, 89th, which was pretty depressing. But whatever. (laughs) Well, I know you were chip leader for a couple of straight days, I think. Yeah, I was chip leader on like day three, day four, and part of day five. And then it all just kind of went downhill. Such a long tournament to sustain that. Yeah, I I tried to like five bet bluff some dude like five hands into day six, and I have no reads on him, and he six bet shelled on me, and I lost like a million chips doing that. Uh, then I just lost like four all-ins, couple of coin flips. I was ahead by a lot on one of them. And then you know whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, like Diego said, it's such a long tournament to try to 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 not have anything go bad <laughs> over yeah. that long of a period is tough to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you got you got a lot of airtime too. I think uh, I think a lot of people know you from that that tournament. So. For sure. Well, we'll make sure we we do another podcast called TPE Live, which we do from Vegas and, and other live events, and, and we just kind of recap, you know, how tournaments went that day and any interesting hands and stuff like that. So if, if you do make it out, we'll make sure to get together and yeah. and uh, and maybe get you on one of those to just to you know check in with you and see how things are going out there over the summer. And come by the TPE house during the during the World Series. We have a house there. Oh, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Come visit. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. 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 Well, thanks, Daryl. We appreciate you. Uh, taking some time out to uh, to do the podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get you on again in the future soon. Yeah, for sure. Good Thanks, Daryl. All right. Yep. Thanks, Daryl. All right, we'll take a quick break, and then we will return to wrap up uh, on this episode of the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Special thanks to Daryl Jace for stopping by today, imparting some uh, some wisdom on us. There, I like it. Yeah, that was that was that was awesome. Uh, I I like those theoretical conversations. I have to admit, I like talking about abstract not not abstract, but you know, sort of conceptual poker theory and you know how to how to you know think about uh, the game more than just at the table. And he's the perfect the perfect pro to have that conversation with. I thought he was awesome. I thought he was really helpful. He really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff there. That was really cool. Yeah. I think I, I remember when he did his video on how to get better at poker, like, you know, study how, how basically how to study and what to do to get better. I 
I found that so fascinating because you spend so much time just watching how to play hands, yeah. but you don't, you don't get a lot of time. You, you don't really get a pro to tell you how to get better it at really, playing It really hands. opened my eyes. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you that his uh, six-part series that just wrapped up is what I'm going to watch before I go play the main event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, that's how much I like his stuff. That's going to be the one I, I you know, I review again. Cause I, I found, I, I don't, I, it's kind of the most transferable to live poker too. I felt because he, you know, he focuses so much on everything that's going on at the table and you have that opportunity with, with live games that you're only playing on table. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this was pretty cool. So yeah, I, I thought, um, you know, the, uh, the topic on exploiting and where to start with what to look for to exploit. Um, mm-hmm. And God, amazing how much, uh, how much time he spent playing poker, huh? Yeah. Not only playing, but how much time he's been studying. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, what do you say? Like he estimated 16 hours a week. I mean, yeah, I run a, I run a poker training site. I don't know if I study 16 <laughs> hours a week. <laughs> um, yeah. That's pretty amazing. Um, and, and I also thought it was, it was interesting to hear him talk about, how you know for for mid stakes players to transition to the high stakes? I thought it was really solid advice when he talked about cutting down the number of tables and you know maybe even giving up some money you know and yeah. some EV in return for getting better at the game because that's what you're going to need yep. at the high stakes. Because he makes a really good point. I mean, I don't play a ton of high stakes, um, but I but I assume he's right in, when he says that you know most of those guys have mastered bet sizing and push fold game and all you know all that stuff so the the thing that's going to set you apart is all those little intricacies that he talked about and exploiting them yep yeah so i thought that was really solid advice so for, for those of you out there who are looking to transition from the mid stakes to the high stakes there you go yep yep that's a set of videos to watch for sure and uh yeah and uh, he's going to be writing some more articles for us um coming up so look for those yeah he's he's a great addition pretty pretty stoked to have him on the team so absolutely um, so speaking of additions and, and stuff going on on the site, what uh, what is going on on the site this uh, these days? So first off, membership is surging. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> peek behind the scene. Um, I, I don't. It's just great. Like TPE, it, there's more people coming every day, and the quality of of member is still high. I think. Um, so, um, like you said earlier, the chat room is booming. Um, so it's a good time at TPE. Everything, uh, everyone is, uh, is, is really contributing in the forums hopping. Um, from a content perspective, I will say, I think one of the most interesting series that we've ever done is about to come up. Um, it just so happened that big dog was going to do a live sweat one night and he made it, uh, you know, he's playing one a bunch of tournaments, and he started to get deep in the 109 rebuy. And um, on his break, he IMs me. He says, "Hey, I'm recording, and I'm here at a table with Ben Warrington, you know, Kid Cardiff, one of our new pros, and he's recording too." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no, fucking no fucking way!" <laughs> That's great. Uh, I was so happy. Um, and so they both recorded the same tournament. Um, and they've spent basically four videos together. So the series itself, I'm combining them. I'm making them one series because it's one tournament, right? I mean, so yeah. I, I think it's it's like sort of an epic, epic series of ten parts. <laughs> of <laughs> um, Ben starts his session a little earlier, you know, starts recording a little earlier. So the first two parts are Ben, and then Casey comes in, um, and then 
we have four parts of them together, and then I'm not going to spoil who makes it further. So you know, then one of the pros is is further along. So I'm not going to spoil that. But um, but we get basically a dual uh, live sweat, and what I did was I spliced them together. So we watch you know the hand from Ben's perspective, and they get into a lot of pots together. That's the thing, right? Wow. So That'll be cool. we watch the hand from Ben's perspective. And then we watched a hand from Casey's perspective. Huh. It's a, it's really, I think it's going to be one of the best videos on the site. Um, I really enjoyed watching it. So um, that is going to be the primary, um, the primary driver of, uh, you know, what's, uh, what's going to be on the site for the next couple of weeks. And then we have a guest pro returning and we won't say who yet. It's a big secret. You've got to <laughs> hang around to find out. <laughs> the return of one of our guest pros, uh, someone who was very well-reviewed as well. So, um, so we got that going on. Um, that's the, the, the primary thing uh, going on. And then um, I'm sure we're going to get another podcast in beforehand, but um, TPE is going to the WSOPC in yep. Atlantic City. So uh, we'll, we'll preview that next um, next time, but we're a lot of planning around that going on on the site right now. Oh, and another um, cool thread um, that I want to talk about is there's a thread on what's your mu- must-watch videos, uh, which is cool because there's a lot of great advice there on what videos people really like and want to watch. So that's a thread worth checking out. Um, yeah, especially if you're a newer member. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, we're I guess we're actually coming up on our two-year anniversary now yep. that I think about it. But um, but that aside, we have a shit ton of videos. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if you joined the site yesterday, it's yeah. got to be overwhelming to go, wow, yeah. 450 or almost 500 videos. Like, where do I even yeah. start? And there, and there has been an increase in number of posts of people going, where do I start? Yeah, and we're writing um, – we're actually creating member guides for that. So that will be out in just a bit um, to, to address that. But in the meantime, there's a – you know, what's what must-watch videos. And we have a weekly column that we just started calling, uh, called What's New at TPE, where um, Benny Maka – one of our mods in our forum, one of our best, you know, absolute most active members, um, writes a weekly article on what videos were released and some of the interesting forum posts and articles, um, as well as reviews, you know, the podcast. So that's a great source of information on, you know, what to watch and what, you know, give you a, a summary of what, you know, what you may be interested in. Yeah, people have been loving that. Yep. I, and Benny does a great job on it, so we're really happy to have him doing that. Yep. So that's, uh, so. that's what's going on on the site. Cool. Well, another uh, another great podcast in the books. Absolutely. So, thanks again to uh, to Daryl for stopping in. Much appreciated. We'll be sure to get him on again as soon as we can. Absolutely. And um, in the meantime, we'll see you back here in a couple of weeks on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. See you, everybody. See you.
Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, oh. 